0: Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews, with your host, Aaron Martell. Hello there, I'm Aaron Martell, and welcome to Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews, a podcast where I talk about and review a rock album of my choice. Today I'm flying solo, no co-pilots. But if you're listening and you're interested in coming on the show to review an album with me, I'm always on the lookout for co-pilots to host the podcast with me. There are a few ways to get in touch with me, which I'll go over at the end of the show. So on this week's episode, I'm taking a request from listener Keith Toth, and Keith has selected Faith No More's 1989 album, The Real Thing. Full disclosure, Keith is an old friend going back to our high school days, and we both generally had a similar taste in music. I remember we both discovered Faith No More in 1989, with this album and the music video for the song Epic. The visuals in the video were striking, and the music was this weird hybrid of musical styles, and I'd never heard anything quite like it. Now, I've never really been a big fan of rap or hip-hop, but the way Mike Patton delivered the lyrics almost seemed like he was doing a parody of a rapper, and then his voice in the chorus was so strange that it caught my ear. Plus, there were heavy guitars in the song, so there was a metal edge to the music, too, and I was a huge metalhead by that point. Then I heard interviews with other artists like Guns N' Roses and Metallica, and they were gushing about how great Faith No More was, so I gave in and finally decided to pick up this album on cassette and give it a listen. And there you have it. So, Keith Old Buddy, this one's for you. Now I'll give you some basic facts about this record. Brought to you by Wikipedia, so what I'm about to say next can be quoted for truth. The Real Thing is the third studio album by American rock band Faith No More, released on June 20th, 1989 on Slash Records. It was produced by Matt Wallace and Faith No More and was recorded from December 1988 to January 1989 at Studio D in Sausalito, California. It reached number 11 on the U.S. Billboard 200 chart and is certified platinum by the RIAA. Now I'll go over the band's lineup card. We have Mike Borden on drums, Roddy Bottom on keyboards, Billy Gould on bass, Jim Martin on guitars, and Mike Patton on vocals. Now it's time to get into a track by track analysis of this album. The first track is From Out of Nowhere, written by Billy Gould, Roddy Bottom, and Mike Patton. track races out of the gate fast and heavy, with Jim's guitar loud and pummeling, Billy's bass dancing around on the low end, and Roddy's keyboards accenting the riff without overwhelming it. All the instruments are separated well, and the production on this record is stellar. Each sound has its own space. Mike Patton's voice cuts through the mix, and right off the bat we hear how unique his instrument is. His voice is nasally almost whiny, but it's extremely expressive and communicates the emotions he brings to the lyrics. Speaking of the lyrics, to me they seem to be about Patton being infatuated with a woman, but he's unable to speak to her, he can't let her know how he feels, and then she's gone. It seems like she's an ongoing obsession for him. She may be someone he sees every day. I've always loved this song, one of my favorites on the record, and we're off to a heavy metallic start. This was the first single released by the band and didn't chart, though they later re-released it and it reached number 23 on the UK singles chart. The next track is epic written by the entire band. You can touch it, smell it. It is so sweet, but it makes no difference cuz the night Though the guitars are still metal, the rest of the song has a completely different vibe. Billy's bass is grooving and funky, and Mike Borden's drums seem to somehow straddle both genres, while Roddy's keyboards this time provide a background atmosphere. It's a mishmash of musical styles that on paper doesn't make much sense, but it actually works perfectly. Patton actually raps the verses, which are highly open to interpretation, but to me it's about going after what you want out of life, whatever it is. I read that some people think it's about sex or drugs, and sure, it could be about those things. Maybe it's about whatever you bring to it. Patton shows off some vocal range and his ability to sing in different voices, especially in the choruses where his nasal voice gets higher pitched, you want it all, and a bridge section where he sounds like someone's choking him, what is it? Jim plays a good harmonized guitar solo, and the song does keep one foot in the metal genre the entire time. As the song fades out, Roddy plays a piano outro that calms everything down and brings yet another element to the music. As a rapper, Patton is no Eminem, I guess, but at the time, it was something new and unique, and this was the track that turned me on to Faith No More, especially the music video, which had some weird, almost psychedelic imagery, including a flopping, gasping fish that was a bit controversial, and an exploding piano. The video was played seemingly non-stop on MTV. And unfortunately for me, this song was hugely influential to the rise of the new metal bands who hit it big in the 1990s. But that's another fucking story. I have always, and will always, dig this track. And it was the second single from the record, which hit number 25 in the UK, number 9 in the US, and number 1 in Australia. Go Aussies! Moving on now, we get Falling to Pieces, written by Billy Gould, Roddy Bottom, Jim Martin and Mike Patton. bass slaps kick this thing off, and then the rest of the band joins in, with Roddy bringing his classical music background to his keyboard playing that dominates much of the sound on this track, and Jim staying back in the mix but still laying down the heavy guitar. But Billy really drives this song with his funky bass playing and provides the foundation for Patton's vocals, which stay in the nasal range again for the most part, except in the pre-chorus, where he sings in a normal register. The lyrics this time seem to be about having a difficult time with life's struggles, but it's more from internal influences than external. Self-frustration and depression, subjects I think a lot of people can grab onto and relate to. I really like the chorus melody, and this track is another winner. It was the third single, but it didn't do very well, reaching number 41 in the UK and number 92 in the US, despite the video being played frequently on MTV. Interestingly, the band didn't like this song, and they rarely played it live, which is too bad because I feel it's one of the better tunes on the record. Now it's time for Surprise, You're Dead, written by Jim Martin and Mike Patton. Surprise. one aims to crush your skull with the heaviest fuck guitar riffs that verge on thrash metal territory and mike borden pounding out a metal beat jim was a schoolmate and close friend of cliff burton the late great bassist for metallica and that most likely was one of the reasons why metallica became such a champion of faith no more if roddy is on this track at all you could have fooled me because he's inaudible. but who needs keyboards on this Patton screams out the vocals in his best metal voice, hoarse and aggressive, including some rapid-fire vocal runs that are pretty impressive. The lyrics aren't too deep and describe the narrator killing you, the listener, with extreme hatred and prejudice. There's also a vampire vibe to the lyrics that I pick up on as well. This track rips by in two and a half minutes, the shortest on the album, and make no mistake, this is Jim Martin's show all the way. I dig it. Let's continue on with Zombie Eaters written by the entire band. begins exactly the opposite of the last track with quiet arpeggiated acoustic guitars and light bass as Patton practically whispers the lyrics which are from the point of view of a newborn baby and how it is completely dependent on its parents. Some keyboard strings appear and the track begins to build sonically but the feel is still in gentle mode until blam! The electric distorted guitars and bass arrive and the track turns into a mid-tempo heavy rocker with Mike Borden's syncopated drum patterns as a highlight. Gordon was a highly regarded drummer who in his career played with Black Sabbath and Ozzy Osbourne, as well as Korn, Black Label Society, Jerry Cantrell, and Primus, so he has quite the resume. Patton's vocals are all over the place, from the nasal whine to loud screams, and the lyrics follow through with the theme of a baby and its interactions with its parents and the world. The song runs through the heavy sections which make up the bulk of the track, before finally bringing it back down to the quiet strumming as a sort of cool-down, and I like this one too. Good shit, but what the fuck does the song title mean? Now here comes the title track, The Real Thing, written by Billy Gould, Roddy Bottom, and Mike Patton. begins this with light tapping on the drum rim, and then Roddy's keyboards creep in but sort of hang there, almost apart from the drums, giving the impression of space, of distance. Billy plays a bass slide, and Patton sings in a normal voice that seems to float in the space of the music. The lyrics this time are more obscure and impressionistic, but I've always taken them to mean the experience of life, finding what the meaning of it is to you, taking those things that mean the most to you as an individual, and holding on to them having experiences that touch you and give you purpose and are profound, almost sacred in nature. Whoa, too deep. Slow down, Aaron. Of course, as often happens with this band, and especially on this record, the music gains heaviness and intensity, and the playing gets harder and the vocals get louder. The song has an interesting structure, as it has multiple sections that add to each other and repeat, almost like a suite, and there are no true choruses. The sections flip-flop back and forth between the lighter and heavier parts. It's the album's longest track at over eight minutes, and it grabs me. It's not my favorite, but I like it well enough. Next up is Underwater Love, written by Billy Gould, Roddy Bottom, and Mike Patton. Marty's keyboards are prominent in this one, with an organ sound in the background that moves up front in the mix occasionally, along with descending echoed synth notes that do give the impression of flowing water. Nasal Patton sings the creepy lyrics, which I interpret to be about a man drowning his lover to keep her forever. Kudos to Billy Gould, in my opinion an underrated bass player, who peppers his bass lines with slaps and pops, which add to the sound but never becomes distracting. Jim Martin again takes a back seat, but he's still there with his distinct guitar tone. This tune rocks okay, but it's never been a favorite of mine, although I don't skip it. We move on now to The Morning After, written by Billy Gould, Roddy Bottom, Jim Martin, and Mike Patton. The rhythm section introduces the track with a choppy staccato beat and bass line, and then the other instruments join in and play a distinct part in the track. Each member gets a chance to shine, from Jim's metal riffing to Roddy's eerie keyboards. The lyrics are again disturbing, and seem to take on the point of view of a victim who had been attacked, possibly raped or even killed, and wakes up the next morning and not remembering exactly what happened, but knowing that he or she is badly injured at least. Patton uses multiple voices and cadences, and puts across the emotional urgency of the lyrics. This is another song that doesn't clearly define its sections as verses or choruses, and the whole track has a nightmarish, spooky vibe. In truth, this track has never done much for me, and is my least favorite on the album, so I gotta call it Erin's Stinky Stinker. The album continues with Woodpecker from Mars, written by Jim Martin and Mike Borden, An instrumental, this tune has multiple and varied sections and has all the qualities of a great Faith No More cut. Jim plays some heavy-ass riffs and solos. Borden plays tremendous drums that go from slow spatial timekeeping to thunderous metal pounding, holding the track together and keeping it on course. Billy slaps, pops, and grooves on his bass like a motherfucker and Roddy plays the keys that has always served as a sonic backdrop, but also come to the fore with a vaguely Middle Eastern-sounding vibe that makes this track sound somewhat exotic. There are multiple tempos and textures that keep things interesting, and even though there aren't any lyrics, I totally dig this track. It was named after an episode of a Woody Woodpecker cartoon, so that earns points with me as well. The penultimate track is War Pigs, written by Tony Iommi, Geezer Butler, Ozzy Osborne and Bill Ward Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Yes, this is the Black Sabbath classic, and Faith No More does not fuck with it. They play it straight up, and with very few minor exceptions, they cover it note-for-note like Sabbath. Hell, Patton even does a passable Ozzy Osbourne imitation for the most part on the studio cut, though he was known to fuck around with it vocally when they played it live. Blah, 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 blah. Jim Martin plays Tony Iommi-style solos, and the rest of the band is in the pocket. What else can I say about this? Faith No More does a good job paying the proper respect to the legendary Black Sabbath on one of their greatest songs. And that brings us to the final track, Edge of the World, written by Billy Gould, Roddy Bottom, Mike Borden, and Mike Patton. way to end the album. This has a slow, slinky groove, with just piano, bass, and drums, no guitar. It almost has an old-timey vibe, like it could have come from the 1940s, like an old musical standard, especially the way Patton delivers the lyrics. I can picture him leaning over, cradling the microphone, and crooning into it. Then I paid attention to the lyrics and fuck me sideways. It's about a pedophile trying to seduce a little girl, even offering her candy. (sighs) i have to mentally disconnect myself from the lyrical content because I seriously have always loved this track. In my mind, Patton sings, I'm four years older instead of 40 years older, and I imagine the young lady in question to be much older, too. Oh, well. This track is so odd and so left-field that I can't help but be seduced by it myself. Damn you, Mike Patton! Now that the track-by-track is over... I'll go into my final thoughts and album rating. For you new listeners, the album rating is a 0-5 system, with 5 being a favorite album of mine, all the way down to a 0, which belongs on the trash heap. Faith No More is a unique and fascinating band. Each of the band members brought something different to the table, and the mashing of these varied musical influences and styles gave them a sound that at the time was like nothing else. They were unafraid to try their hands at rock, metal, funk, classical, rap, and even country and easy listening music. You couldn't pin down Faith No More as a singular type of genre, though they were mostly thought of as a rock or metal act, and that's where their albums could be found at the record stores. Each band member even had a different look, from Jim Martin's long shaggy hair, beard, and red-rimmed glasses to Mike Borden's long dreadlocks. They looked like some random dudes thrown together. Prior to this album, Faith No More's vocalist was a guy named Chuck Mosley, who lasted for two records, and they're both pretty good, before being fired for erratic behavior. They then recruited Mike Patton from his band Mr. Bungle to be the new singer, and he agreed, but he didn't disband Mr. Bungle. Instead, he opted to sing for both bands on some later episode I'll Go Into Mr. Bungle. When Patton arrived, the music for this album was already written. He just had to write the lyrics and perform his parts. He was the shot in the arm the band needed, and he brought a zaniness and whacked-out energy level to the live shows, often going off on goofy tangents as the rest of the band followed him. His voice was chameleon-like, and he could inhabit many different tones and personas, which fit Faith No More's varied styles better than Chuck Mosley. And then, when this album came out, the band found themselves in a feud with the Red Hot Chili Peppers over Patton's alleged copying of Anthony Kiedis' style. It was utter horse shit, and Patton mocked the whole situation with his usual brand of wacky humor. I listened to this album religiously during the summer of 1989, and I really got into this band. I thought they were bonkers, and I loved the musical kaleidoscope they made out of their music. I give The Real Thing a four and a half. It's a great album, and special thanks again to Keith Toth for requesting it. I hope I did right by you, man. I'd now like to give a shout-out to a podcast that I enjoy listening to. It's called the Untitled Music Podcast, and it's hosted by Donnie Shattuck. Each episode, he picks an artist or a musical topic, and he gives an overview of its history, along with his opinions on the music itself, including lots of music clips to illustrate what he's talking about. The podcast is informative and engaging, and I highly recommend giving it a listen. So that's the Untitled Music Podcast. Dig it. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast at places like iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, TuneIn, and Spotify. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review of it. If you take the time to do that, I'll read your review right here on the show. If you'd like to contact me directly, I can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com and also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast. You can also review the show on Facebook if you'd prefer to do it that way. And yes, I'll read your Facebook review on the podcast. You want to come on the podcast and talk about an album with me? Shoot me an email and we'll set it up. I'm always looking for co-pilots to host the show with me, and I would also welcome any requests or suggestions for albums to cover, just like Keith did for this episode. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. I'd love to hear from you. And lastly... Here at R4, we thank you so much for giving this podcast a listen, and a massive thank you if you like and support the show. Take care, and I'll catch you later. And again takes a backseat, but he's still there with his, dis- with, his <laughs> with his distinct guitar tone. Damn it. I'm never going to get this damn thing recorded. I mean, what the fuck? Let's have another cement mixer drive by. Let's have a couple more dogs jingle their collars through here. Oh, fucking hey. There you are, folks. The dark underbelly of podcasting. Guess who? <laughs>